3. This is my Bible. My Bible is the Word of God. The Word of God is Jesus Christ. It is my weapon because it is infallible. This Word slays sickness. This Word defeats demons. This Word eradicates hidden faults, deliberate sin, transgressions, and abomination. My Bible is the ultimate truth. This truth invades the darkness and exposes weakness, lies, cowardice, and doubt. My Bible injects hope, love, and trust into my insecurities, demanding that I raise my level of expectation. It assures me that my Lord guarantees that I will triumph over all the forces in this world arrayed against me because he is the God of the angel armies. I conquer, I see results, I overcome because of my Bible. Thank you, sir. We got conquerors in here? I like it. I love uh, this truth invades, say invades. Invades, invades. It gets all down in it. And um, that is what the word of God does. I am hot. It is like, I think what it is is muggy. I'm sorry. That's what it is. I think it's muggy. This mic? Okay. All right. All right. Let's go. Let's turn in your Bibles or click on your Bibles. <laughs> if you are on your electronic, oh, I don't have my notes. Hmm. What a thought. Okay. All right. Yeah. All right. My mother has my tablet, so she was supposed to be here. So we will, um, they are on my phone, so as little as they are, that's why you have glasses. All right, we shall not be stopped, okay? All right, so turn with me in your Bibles. All right, let's look at Matthew. Matthew 16, and I'm not reading text messages. I'm trying, oh, this, that won't work. Here, I'm trying to figure out how to set it up. Okay, there. All right, Matthew 16, 16. All right. And when you get there, say the word works. The word works. And actually, let's look at Matthew um, 16. Let's look at 16, 15 first, okay? And um, now last week we talked, um, I feel so long ago. Last week we talked about the anointing and we talked about who is to be anointed and what the anointing mixture is for, what is in the, um, one of the key ingredients in the anointing oil. Um, <coughs> excuse me. And um, um, what it does, how it breaks the yoke off of you. Um, now, it doesn't say that God never said that there wouldn't be a yoke. He just said that it breaks the yoke off of you. So let, um, let's look at what it is and what it does. Let's review that, and then we will move forward, okay? What it is is to be, what it, um, what it does, excuse me, it uh, con consecrates, oh, I can't, okay, let me get it together. Father, in the name of Jesus, I forgot to pray. Lord, I thank you, I thank you, I thank you, Lord. I thank you for everyone that is here. I thank you for the power of God moving, flowing, and breathing, Lord. And I thank you for the anointing, the anointing that breaks yokes, the anointing that settles our heart, that prepares us, that empowers us, Lord, that consecrates us and sets us apart. 
Lord, so speak now, Lord. Speak not just to those in the room, but speak to those, Lord, who will hear this word, who will have this word, touch their lives, and how we'll, we'll gain a greater understanding of the word of God. And so we bless it now in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. And um, I love the, uh, the amplified version but, uh, of Matthew 16, but let's go ahead and read, um, let's read, the, the, let's go over this right here. So the anointing of God does this. It consecrates and separates something for a holy use. So we talked about um, the last time how articles in the temple of God were consecrated, that it's individual things were consecrated because it was a moving, they lived in the middle of the desert, right? And so it was a temporary building. It wasn't an anchor church. It was, I just used it, I used that as an example of us meeting in a hotel this is a temporary place and so the tabernacle was anointed everything that they they used in the ministry in service and as they prepared and worshiped the lord everything was anointed so and the the men of god the priests of god were anointed so it was consecrated it meant that they were separated and consecrated for holy use and one scripture says it is not to be used exodus 49 and the amplified says that after something was anointed it wasn't supposed to be used for secular use and we talked about uh, pastor daryl talked about not being pedestrian meaning common Okay, um, I, that, a lot of younger people don't know that term, but when we were younger, they used to say, stop acting common. You know, if you were a woman that any man could get his hands on, they said you were common. Okay, so you, they were saying, remember your worth. Remember that you've been set aside for something amazing. And so my grandmother used to have a china cabinet. How many of you guys have ever seen a family member, older family member with a china cabinet, right? So you had this beautiful china inside and it was in a cabinet. It was in the house, but it was in a cabinet behind a wall, behind the doors, behind a glass. You could see it but you couldn't touch it. Did you eat on it for your peanut butter and jelly sandwich? No, ma'am. No, sir. You could only use it for what? Did Christmas dinner, Easter dinner, Thanksgiving, and one more. Maybe Mother's Day, just depending on if she felt like it, but most, usually like four or five times a year. And so it was consecrated and sanctified for special times, okay? You were not to touch it. When they were setting the table, you weren't allowed, if you were too little, to go in there. You knew you, were got, you had moved up in the world if you were allowed to go get the china, okay? So we understood that's what it was for. And so um, my great-grandmother, my great-grandmother worked for a judge in Pennsylvania, and so his wife gave my great-grandmother her china, which a lot of families, you know, it was passed down. And so my great-grandmother gave her china to my grandmother, then my great-grandmother gave her china to my mom. You understand what I mean? So it's passed down. And um, so then one, uh, one set is missing a couple of mugs and everything, so then they get even more anxious about it, because now we don't have that much, so you gotta, you know, gotta be real special. So you usually ate on a paper plate, but those that understood China could eat on the China plate. And so because it was consecrated, so that's a tangible example of it, okay? The anointing is a special gift. I mean, it's a special gift from God. Now, a lot of times we talk about, you might hear in church where people have a gift and then they're anointed. A gift is given without repentance. God gives you your gifts. It could be to handle money, to sing, to do whatever. But the anointing is God's power on that, that on that gift, being mixed with that gift. It is preparation. It is empower, it empowers us with the power of the Holy Spirit, with the gifts of God. Amen? So that is what the anoint, that's what the anointing was. We talked about that last week. Now, Matthew 16, 16, um, we walk into a conversation. Um, there's my iPad. <laughs> is it here? No? I need, I was, need my notes. Or, um, so um, Matthew 16, 16, I'm going to read it um, in the amplified uh, version. I want you to look at it. Um, there and just give me one second to pull it up. I have the NIV here, but I just want to read it to expound, expound on a little bit. Let's look at 15 and 16, okay, are you there? All right, if you're there, say the word works. The word works. 
All right. And so Jesus is talking to his disciples. He's not talking to um, a, a crowd. We know that in the Bible, I always explain the difference of who he's talking to. He's talking to his disciples and he says this, but what about you? Who do you say I am? So Simon Peter, say Peter. Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son. I'm in the wrong translation. That's what's wrong. Amplified. I wanted, I was like, something's not reading right. Okay. He said that he said to them, but who do yourselves say that I am in verse 16. And Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of God, the, the son of the living God. Um, something is wrong with my translation, but anyway, it says that you are the anointed one. Okay. So we find out here that Peter, out of all of the disciples that he's talking to, Peter answers first. He, it was like, no question about it. You are the Messiah. You, oh, here it is right here. Thank you. I love you. Nicole. Okay. But you, uh, who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one. Okay. They had been waiting for generations and generations and generations, meaning the Messiah, the one God embodied in a person, the one that came to save the entire world, the one who has been anointed for the work to heal us and to sanctify and us, deliver us. That's who you are. Now, Peter goes on, if you fast forward the story, who does he then become? He then becomes the one that betrays him, right? But based on his answer here, based on his answer here, Jesus turned around after that and said, you, you have answered correctly. Upon you, I'm going to build my church. I'm going to build my church. So you have that, and then he gets in a moment of weakness, and he betrays God. And so you go, oh, well, so much for Matthew 16. God, God did have plans to use you to build the church, but you just blew it. You denied him. Uh, you and that betrayed him. You denied him three times, okay? You kept saying, I don't know him. I don't know him. I don't know him. Do we throw people away when they make those mistakes? What do we do with people like that? What do we do with people like that when they make those mistakes, when they, they go against God? But the prophecy, the word was right here upon you, Peter, you, Peter, you, on you. I'm going to build my church. God knew he doesn't speak foolishly. He doesn't speak aimlessly. He knew everything that was going to transpire in the relationship. But he was telling Peter needed to hear this so that when he did mess up, he can say, but he told me that he was gonna use me. Now Jesus goes to the cross, he goes to Calvary, he has a conversation but with Peter before he dies. And he looked at Peter and said this, he said, do you love me? Peter's embarrassed because he knew he had denied him. Not once, not twice, I keep doing the same thing, I keep messing up, three times. So now Jesus is like, remember that word in Matthew 16? Remember that, upon you I'm gonna build my church? He goes to him before he goes to glory and he says, Peter, do you love me? Yeah, Lord, I, I, I love you. I love you. you. Do you love me? Yes, Lord, I love you. And it's almost like you're getting embarrassed. Why do you keep asking me this? Why do you keep asking me, do I love you? I do. I messed up, but I really, really do love you. My actions don't look. Oh. Ooh, okay. Yeah, I know. Um, my actions, how many of you guys have ever been there where you feel like your actions don't line up? But you know in your heart you do. You do love God, but I just did something real, you know, real, really messed up. So Peter says, yes, Lord, I love you. And so he says to him, feed my sheep. Now, Peter, I have another question for you. Do you love me? Oh, man, I know he's still dealing with my past. Yeah, yes, Lord, I love you. Okay, then I have an assignment for you. Feed my sheep. Okay. Then he comes back again. This is the same man that walked with him, same man that discipled him, same man. He comes with another question. Peter, I have another question for you. Do you love me? Oh, Lord, you know, you know everything already. Yes, I love you. Then my command still stands. 
feed my sheep. You denied me three times. I asked you three times. You told me three times. And three times I'm going to tell you, feed my sheep. How do you build the church? You feed my sheep. So you, Peter, you, the one who came right here on this day when everybody was questioning who God was, Peter said, you are the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one, the son of the living God. And on that, Jesus said, that's it. That's what I want to hear. If you know that, if you know that truth, then I'm going to use you to build my church. The book of Acts is the historical book of the New Testament. It hadn't happened yet, but God knew that the truth of God was in him. He knew Peter outside of any mess up he could ever make. Peter knew who Jesus was. So after he denied him, he came back to him and said, if you love me, then let's go back to this. Feed my sheep, because I know if you feed my sheep, what you're going to tell them is, I am the Christ. I am the Messiah. I am the anointed one. And then he goes up to glory. And then enter, we enter right into the book of Acts. Now go with me to Acts chapter 3. Acts chapter 3. So we, we, we know that um, this is, the enemy is such a liar. You are not going to. We know that, um, that at this point, there's only 11 disciples left. The disciples then are referred to as apostles, and uh, they're special messengers of the Lord. And so we know that they're called to build the church, and we know that they all gathered in one accord, and they all gathered in the house until they knew that the Holy Spirit would come and speak to them direct. They've been given the directive to build the church of God. And so this is the thing. So now you've been anointed. You've all been set up. You've walked with Jesus. You've been discipled, and now it's your turn. Remember we talked, he talked about that in the video, Mike's Matthew, Matt Hasselbeck, uh, did I say his name right? Thank you, Matt Hasselbeck. I don't know why that's so weird to say, but he's, he had gotten mentored by Trent. Now, remember, Trent Dilfer is the one who lost his son. Remember, he told his testimony. He still worshiped God. He still gave God the glory after that. Now, Trent, and he said, it was hard for me to believe, but I saw Trent. He said, at first, what did he say about Trent? He was just a little too churchy for me. He was just a little bit too spiritual. Is it that deep? But when he saw Trent go through the hell of losing his son, and he said, he said, when I saw him go through some stuff, then I was like, oh, this guy's legit. Now, Trent goes and ministers to him in an elevator and says, it's not the, it's not the chaplain's job to pour into your friends. It's your job to pour into your friends. So now Matt is then turns around and does what? And disciples the ones that he invited. You see the chain of reaction? So now Jesus pours in, walks with the disciples, and pours into them. They, Peter messes up, and then Peter now is heading the church. Now all these people are gathered. In the, in the, they're in the upper room. They're gathered, and now it's time for the church to be birthed, for the church to come alive. And Peter, the one who had, knew he was a Christ, messed up, blew it three times, got back up, and said, yes, Lord, I love you, has a command from his discipleship leader to feed his sheep. And so now this is where we see the play come into action, okay? So in Acts chapter 3, and I don't want to belabor you with, with a lot of reading, but I want to set it up. So now you may have heard this account before. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer. It was around 3 o'clock in the afternoon when a certain crippled man from his birth was being carried along, who was laid each day at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, so that he might beg for charitable gifts from those who enter the temple. So when he saw Peter and John, say Peter and John. Peter and John, say it one more time. About to go into the temple, he asked them to give him a gift. And Peter directed his gaze intently at the man, and so did John, and said, look at us. And the man paid attention to them, expecting that he was going to get something from them. Now, this is what he said. When Jesus was alive, he sent the disciples out two by two. 
He sent out his group of say he had discipled him and walked with them. So he said, I'm going to send you out while I'm alive, while I'm, while I'm on the earth with you, and I'm going to see how you do. So they go out, they do ministry, then they come back and they give a report. They were like, Lord, it was amazing. Even the demons were subject to us. He said, yeah, that's good. Now he's still discipling them and walking with them. He said, that's good, but don't let that be the focus. The focus is to know the truth. The truth of God is that your sins, your name is written down in the book of the Lamb. He's like, stay focused. So he discipled them, gave them assignment, and walked with them on the assignment. This this time he's gone up to glory. So now the discipleship is in him, right? It's already in him. It's in them. It's in them. And so now he's saying, so now you're out there and you're going to do it. You've already had the lesson. I walked with you for three years. Now it's time for you to do it. Remember, we talked about that building godly community. We pour into you. You pour into others. We walk with you. And then all of a sudden the Lord one day will say, now you got to go out there and do it. You got to go out there and do it. So now he said, the man started talking to Peter. So it says this, Peter wasn't sent alone. He was sent with John. Now who was John? John was, in the Bible says that John was a disciple that Jesus loved, that Jesus loved. So he had a great relationship. So you have two people with a history. Peter is one that messed up, blew it, came back, and God used him. John's the one that was in a, in a close walk relationship with the Lord. So you have these two people now moving together, doing the work of God. So that's like if you and Josh or you and Stephen go out and to do ministry together. You guys are, you guys have been discipled. Now you guys are out doing the team. What if today I was sick and neither one of us could, could go on? This is when we say, okay, you guys got to have service. We are going to always have church, okay? Because what did our bishop say? Once you open, he told us that be sure that once you open, your doors never close. That's what, he, that's what he told us. So now what if we couldn't be here? What if something came all of a sudden and he sent us out two by two, me and Pastor Daryl, but what if we're down? What if you guys are the only ones and Pastor Daryl's been walking with you and pouring into you? You have to know enough, just like this morning. I got out the car. I didn't have to say anything. You guys have been walking with us enough to where next thing I know, it was like Rod pulled his car up. The stuff was dumped out. I didn't have to say. We Everybody went into their system because you've been walking close enough. You've been doing the system of ministry long enough to now you know. But what if we weren't here? What if something happened and it wasn't even planned? But what if we weren't here? That it needs to be enough in you for you to get up and do the work. So it's two of them, Peter and John, one who Jesus walked with in love and one who had been forgiven. So now they walk by and see this man laying by the temple. Here are the facts. Another chapter, Acts 4.22, tells us that he was 40 years old. So you have a 40-year-old man who's been carried here to the temple every day. The temple is supposed to be the house of God where you can get healed. He's brought there not to get healed, not to get better. He's bought there, brought there just to get money. And he's laying there. And you have two men that walked with God who have been discipled by the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords who have now been commissioned to start the church and they're walking by the temple and this man is looking at them begging for something. Are you with me? Yeah. And it says this, it says they looked at him and they stared at him intensely and they studied him. What, when you look at people, when you're out and you study people, when you have been walking with God close enough, you, stop to, you start to look past who they are right at that moment and you start to look at their need, okay? Perfect example, I was with a woman this weekend at a meeting, never met her before. She wasn't even supposed to meet with me. I was supposed to meet with the wonder woman under her. That woman's son got sick, so this woman had to leave the office, come and meet with me. So now I'm with this woman, had no idea she was the director of the, of the, of the department. And so we're talking, and she begins to share that her husband is from Iran, Iran, Iran. 
She begins to share that his niece is here about to have a baby. Next thing I know, I'm looking at her. And I'm like, there's something. There was a heaviness. You could tell there was something there. And she said that this is her second baby because the other baby, with all the chaos going on overseas, that the, that with the, the family has just been disjointed and just you know just been crazy. So they literally collected funds, the money that they had, sent this girl to America in her seventh month of pregnancy, so that they can ensure that this baby makes it. She said the whole family's been disjointed, and so this girl is here, and they they bought her with a lump sum of money and she's here and so then she you know they're trying to believe that she can have the money then she'll go back to Jordan it's just you know they have this whole family set up and then later on in the story we were talking about something else and she said let me just say this there are more refugees coming to America and she said it and everybody laughed and kept going and I looked at her and I studied what she was saying she's saying I know what is going on this Syria thing this ISIS thing is affecting my family I know what's about to come she was talking about how they have this smaller house and she said we have to get a bigger house because we know what is about to go down in America she said y'all are talking about conventions and meetings and all this stuff it's about to get real serious so you look past what when God is talking to you and you're talking to them and the Lord was like you need to pray for her her family and this specific thing she said, my husband's been out of work for two years. He's got the weight of his family overseas about needing to come and get over here. And he can't work. He doesn't have money to send over there. We are in a bind. So then you meet people, but you look at them intently. And so it says this. It says that they spoke to him, silver and gold. Peter said this famous statement, silver and gold I don't have, but what I have I give to you. And in the use of the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk, get up and walk. And I love it because verse 7, it says this, but then he took hold of the man's right hand and say with a firm grip, with a, say with me, say a firm grip, he raised him up. And at once his feet and ankle and bones became strong and steady. And leaping forth, he stood and began to walk. And he went into the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. So we see great victories and we think, oh, this is awesome. And that's what discipleship, mentoring, coaching is. It's doing this. It's reaching out your hand, saying, this is what you need to do. You need to get up and walk. But you don't leave a person there. It's getting his hand, taking a firm grip, and pulling you into where you need to be in life. And you think that's great. Everything's wonderful. You've been anointed to do it. God imparted power for you to pull people up. I don't have money, but I have the power of God operating and walking. It. And this man's whole life shifts because somebody puts out a hand and holds him and pulls him up. And everything's wonderful. Chapter four, they're right in jail. They're, they go to court because of something, of healing a man. And this is the thing. I healed him at church. And you got a problem with that? You, you got a problem because I did this? And so in chapter four, now we have a whole nother situation with Peter and John. Are you with me? Amen. Can somebody get me a little bit of water, please? And it says this, and while Peter and John were talking to the people, oh, I'm sorry, verse one. And while Peter and John were talking to the people, the high priest and the military commander of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them and being vexed and indignant through and through because they were preaching and teaching people in the name of Jesus, they laid hands on them and arrested them and put them in prison the following day. Now this man is running around, he's healed, everything is great, and all this is wonderful, and they're like, nope, they're mad. These are not, these are not strangers. This is, it says the military and the church leaders got together. So this is the thing you have to know, that when you're anointed, you might get attacked, and you might get attacked for doing what God called you to do. But they have been discipled. They have been walked. They already saw what Jesus did to go through this. And I love it because this is what is so amazing. If you look down, drop down to verse 11. 
And now Peter and John are preaching to them. They're not moved. They're not, uh, they're not bothered. They're not stressed or anything. And it says, they said this, this Jesus is a stone which is despised and rejected by you, the builders, by which has become the head of the corner of the cornerstone of the whole church. And there is salvation and through no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which you must be saved. And verse 13, and I love this because here's Peter and John. They've had this whole history of being discipled and walking with God. And it says this, now the people that were indignant and mad at them, when they saw the boldness and the unfettered eloquence of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and untrained in the schools, common men with no educational advantage, they marveled and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. So this is the thing. When you, it doesn't matter what your history is. Peter and, James, Peter and John, they, the men could tell. These are just regular men, but they're eloquent. When the anointing is on you, the power of God comes on you, you're able to be represent God in a whole new way. And it says that they came, they were regular, ordinary men doing extraordinary things. So when you're being anointed, does that mean all of a sudden I'm superman, supergirl, nothing bothers me, no problems. I go under no pressure. Everything is perfect. I have a force field of love around me. No one can touch me. I, all my bills are paid. Everything is perfect. I go through no problems. And la-da-da-da-da, look at me. I've had the cinnamon, cinnamon sprinkled on me so that I don't have to go under any pressure. He gave you the anointing oil to what? Handle the pressure. But you still have to do what you have to do. And if you go on through chapter 4, it says that, that Peter and John, and this is the thing, how were they able to do this? Because they were watching the behavior of Christ. Remember, Peter is the one that did what? Cut off the man's ear. When they came to arrest Jesus, Peter was like, oh, no, you didn't. He was like, you know, cut off the ear, was ready to fight. And Jesus was like, dude, you're about to go through this in a little bit. Let me show you how it's done. Put the ear back on, even in this. And he said this to him, even in this, let him be. And let's guess what Jesus was doing. He wasn't talking to Peter just in that moment of Calvary. He was preaching to his future so that when you're in jail, when you're up against your wall and I'm not here with you, even in this, you will know how to be calm and cool and collective. And so because they walked with the anointed one, they then were anointed. And when they got in jail, when they were arrested and it says that they laid their hands on them, Peter was like, oh, what, am I, what did Jesus do? He was cool, calm and collective. He didn't say a word when he was beaten and bloody and everything. Peter was like, I think I better go into position. I better do what. But if you don't know this and if you've never seen this, you don't know how to do it. So that is why God will let you walk with situations. And it's that karate kid, go wax the car. I don't want to do it. Why you have me do it? Why you got me reading this? Why you got me studying? This is stupid. But when you go in, when he went to hit him, what? He automatically went into gear. And that's what this is. So Jesus walked the earth, walked with them, came by where they were, told them, come walk with me. And then they let, God let them see his son under pressure so that they knew what to do when they were under pressure and now here they are and guess what I love it because if you go back to to the bottom of chapter four it says that they get out of they get out of jail and the first thing that they do is that they go back to church and they go back <coughs> excuse me and they're back with their um with their uh I'm trying to find the verse excuse me um, they go back in the church and the, oh, here it is in verse 32. It says the company, company of believers was one of heart and soul and not one of them claimed it. Well, no, that's not it. Okay. I, I can't find it. But in, anyway, it goes on in chapter four and it says that they prayed with the people. They went back to church. They basically had to be led out of jail. Thank you. 31. Maybe I should put my glasses on. And it says, and when they prayed, this is the thing. 
And when they prayed, the place in which they were assembled was shaken and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and they continued to speak the word of God with freedom and boldness. No, that's not the verse, but anyway, I'll tell you. Uh, that's, I mean, that's a good one, but that, thank you, Stephanie. That's not the one, but the point is this. The point is this, because you really need to understand, you can't really be in church if you don't understand the history of the church. Because the main thing that you need to understand is when you are anointed, it doesn't mean that you don't go through. It means that you have something to help you go through the pressure. How do you keep your head when you're being, when you're being beat up because you're a believer? How do you keep your head when people come against you? And how do you get even more power because you're able to stand unless you understand what has happened before? Okay, so let, look, look at this. It says that the people came back together and they all prayed in unison. They all prayed together. So this is the thing. When we leave, when we dispatch here on Sundays, on Mondays, you go out into the world. You go out into the schools. You go out, you go out and do therapy. You go out and do acting. You go out and do this. You go out and do banking. Everybody has their other thing. So we're all in our own world. But if we are all anointed and if we are all anchored in God and we are all know that behind us there's a company of believers that are praying and coming together, I can represent God and power and when we all come back together to, in the church it says they prayed in unison and they all were able to see the power of God later on when Paul gets in jail same thing again the body of believers come together and pray and they didn't even have to go and demand this is that the jailhouse opened up because of the power of the anointing so this is the thing when you are broken when you are hurt when you are abandoned when you're going through hell that is not the time for you to step away that's the time when you get closer in because that is when you understand how can I understand Pressure, unless I'm close to those that are walking through pressure and maintaining under pressure. And that's why Jesus said, yep, you, Peter, you are exactly the kind of man that I want to build my church. Because even when you mess up, you'll come back to it and you'll go through it. Even with that, you'll go and when people are in need, people will look, you'll look into their eyes because I had to look in your eyes and ask you three times, do you love me? God, Jesus was searching the soul of Peter. Do you? And he knew Peter loved him. He knew it when he said, you are the anointed, the one of God. And so he said, now you are empowered to be the church. And you're empowered to look at people, Marcella, on a set and hold their sand and say, get up. You're empowered to bring people in and get up. And then I love it because further down in 1 John, look at this and I'll wrap up. 1 John chapter 2. And this is such a strange verse, and this is why you really have to make sure that you, um, chapter 2, verse 20, you have to understand. The word in context so that you will understand what is being said, because this scripture um, could actually be misinterpreted. Are you there? First John chapter 2. Okay. Um, Okay. I'm sorry. Okay. Um, let's see. First uh, John chapter two. But you have been anointed by you hold a sacred appointment from the Lord. You have been given an unction from the Holy One, and you all know the truth, or you know all things. Look at somebody and say you've been anointed. Okay. Now, this is the thing. He goes on to say that I perceive you know the truth. He's talking about people that um, believe that Jesus Christ is the Messiah and those who don't, that don't, the Antichrist. And he says this. Now, this is John saying you've already been, when you've been taught, when you've walked with God and you already understand the truth of God, he's saying now some people out there are believing the spirit of the Antichrist. They don't believe Jesus is the Messiah. But now you have been taught. When you've already walked with God, you've been taught. And look down in verse 27. But as for you, 
Oh, I'm sorry. Look at verse 26. Here I am. Okay, this is the verse I was looking for. Verse 26. I write this to you with reference to those who would deceive you, seduce you, and lead you astray. Okay? Listen to the context. I write this to you with reference to those who would deceive you, seduce you, and lead you astray. But as for you, the anointing, the sacred appointment, and the unction which you receive from him abides permanently in you. So then you have no need that anyone should instruct you. But just as his anointing teaches you concerning everything and is true and is no falsehood so you must abide in live in and never depart from him being rooted in him knit to him just as his anointing has taught you to do so this is what he says in verse 20 he said you've been anointed you already know the truth of God. You've been taught. If you have been walking with the Lord, he's speaking to the church. He's speaking to those people that have been walking in the things of God, that have been discipled, that have seen the power of God demonstrated. So he said, this is not a, a moment for you to say, oh, well, maybe he's not the Messiah. Oh, maybe he is a Messiah. He's not talking to people who are outside of the church. He's talking to people who have been in the church, in the word, have been rooted. He's saying, you know the truth. When you, like Peter and John, they knew the truth. It wasn't, they weren't sent to prison when he was still like, oh, well, I'm not sure. I don't know who you are, Lord. He wasn't sent to prison then. He was sent to prison after he had a history of God, after it was anchored in him who he was. And so he's saying, as for you, you have received the anointing of God, the preparation of God, the understanding of God. You understand what's consecrated, what's sacred. You understand this, and it is permanently in you. So you don't need anybody to teach you back the new stuff. Well, this is the thing. For God so loved the world world he gave his only begotten son when you've been walking with him that truth is anchored in you does that make sense that truth is not that you don't need teaching and you don't need to come to church that's not what he's talking about he's talking about when somebody is coming to deceive you when you've been walking with God and you have been in the word and understanding it, at this point we don't need to go back and teach you the basic things whether or not he is or not we're past that you have received an anointing at this part because you have been you have been empowered by God to go out and be the church to be his hands and feet. And this is what he said, you must remain in him. Don't leave that, don't go back to a place where, oh, I messed up, I denied Jesus. What if Peter would have just said, I denied him so, oh, you know, I, he's, Jesus down at the water, he's waiting for you, he, he's about to go, no, nah, cause you know, I messed up. I ain't messed up once, I messed up twice. I mean, I ain't messed up twice, I messed up over and over again. I'm not gonna go down there, cause if I go down there, he's gonna look at me, he's gonna know I messed up, he's gonna throw it away. Go back to what God originally told you. What if Peter would have never showed up? What if he would have never had one last encounter with Christ? What if he would have told them when they were gathered in the upper room, I don't wanna be here, man, y'all know I messed up. No, what did he have to hold on to? He held on to the original truth is, you know who I am and on that principle, I'm gonna build my church because you understand I am the Messiah, the anointed one, you know who I am. And so because of that, he showed up. That is what Jesus is saying to you. You have been anointed, so you have to show up at every single moment in your life when God is speaking to you. Why do you come to church Sunday after Sunday? Why do you keep hearing the word why are you disciple why do you hold on because you don't know where you're going but God does he knew Peter was going to be locked up he knew Peter was going to have to lead the whole church he knew that he was going to lead us when I went overseas and I went to Europe I went to the Vatican and understanding all that Peter had been through when I walk up there if you look up at the top and you can go online and see it 
if you haven't been there, but at the top, it's, it's at the top, it's statues of men. And it says, these are all the people that stood for the faith, that lived for Jesus, that were martyred and killed. But at the front, there's a big statue of a man here and there's a big statue here. And the first thing I did is I walked up and I was like, this is a statue of Peter, not for us to worship Peter and everything. But what they're saying is the very one that messed up, God still used for his glory. And here is a big statue of him because he didn't give up on himself. He was discipled and he didn't let that fruit go to waste and he showed up when he was supposed to and he carried on the whole church and that was a sign hold on no matter what hold on you this is not the end of your story this is really just the beginning it's the beginning this is God is trying to make you a statue out front so that when people want to give up no you can say you don't know my story oh my god and even after I got the truth I messed up I'm a mess but I held on and look what God is doing through me and that is why I can now turn around and coach you and disciple you and mentor you that is why we have to be hard on us because God is saying look you don't know where I'm taking Stephanie Ortiz you don't know what I'm going to do through Marcella so while you're with them put the word in them so that I can look at them and say hold on don't stray. You've been anointed. You know the truth. I don't need to teach you. You know the basics. Why is it important to know the books of the Bible? Is it really that deep? Yes, because you don't know who's going to run up on you later. And you're saying, I am here to get ammunition, to be ready at all times, and to give an account so I can look people in their eye, have the power to pull them up under the anointing, and then when I get up, beat up for it, I can stay cool, not cut off an ear, not cuss them out, not, not be embarrassed, not run and hide, but say, yep, that's what I stand for, and I gave up too much for this to run and hide from you, and I'm going to go back to the body of believers, and we're going to pray it through. And I mean, they just, oh, it was amazing. And then I love it because this is the part, this is the part where you come in and I'm close. If you go back and keep reading the book of Acts, Peter and John and all the men of God, the apostles, they were building the church and God's adding to the church and the church was growing and they were called followers of the way and they were moving forward, but they were still serving and making sure that the building was set up. They were still waiting tables. They were still cleaning. They were still doing all this stuff. And then it was like, hold on, this is too much. We need some deacons. We need some people to do this stuff because we, we can't let the word of God slip because we're trying to clean up the sanctuary and feed people. So they appointed demons. But this is, this, is, this is what is so important because any little job you do in the house of God, don't take it lightly. Don't take it lightly. And it says this because it says that Peter and James and John, they didn't just run up on people and say, yeah, you, you, you come over here and clean up. We got work to do. It says they belabored over that. They prayed over it. Lord, should we really use this person? And they had a group of men stand up. Lord, should we really pick these people? Lord, are you going to be able to use them? And it's like this. This is what you, it's just, a, it's just taking a bag out the car. Is it that deep? All I'm doing is playing a song. Why are they got to pray over this stuff and act like it's deep? And it says further on around chapter 8 or something like that, it says that Stephen was one of the men that they picked. He was picked to be a deacon. He was picked to clean up. He was picked to do this. But guess what? When Stephen got in hot water, because they had belabored over it, because they had prayed over it, because they prayed over the person and made sure that he was the right person for the job, it says that when Stephen was a deacon, he still got in hot water. And when he had the opportunity to stand in court. What did he do? He proclaimed Jesus as Lord. He stood up. He walked in power and anointing. And guess who was there watching Stephen the whole time? A man who was known as Saul, who was persecuting the church. And Saul, because he watched Stephen, a deacon, somebody just cleaning up the church, because he watched him walk in power, 
It wasn't Peter, James, and John. It wasn't them that was there when Saul came and persecuted on that day. Stephen, the one that they were like, are you sure you can set these tables up? Are you sure you can do the sound? Are you sure you can set up coffee? Are you sure you can go drop this off to the school? Are you sure you can do all these little crazy things that we ask you to do? It's building up consistency in you. It's building up power. To, you know, when I went to my home church this weekend in Virginia, I was there and the ladies, you know, some of the same church mothers were in the kitchen and I was over there and, and, and one of the deacons who we call Uncle Bobby, Uncle Bobby showed, his wife showed up, I'm sorry, and I'm Vaughn was like, I said, oh, please, it was just a thing for the women. I said, oh, please give Uncle Bobby my love. She said, now, baby, now you know goodness well that before these women even showed up, Uncle Bobby was the one who came and turned on the coffee pot. And he said, she said he was laying in bed and said, I got to make sure the women have hot coffee. She said, you don't have to go to church. The sister, no, I got to go over. I want to make sure they're okay because his heart is to love the church. It's love to, to it's, and, and when he walked in, I said, Uncle Bobby, you look so young and so good. He said, 78 and still serving God. I said, I know that's right. It's the consistency. And it could be turning on a coffee pot or it could be praying for a heathen on the street. You just don't know. But Stephen was ready and Saul watched Stephen die and the last words out of Stephen's mouth. And this is so deep. It said that Stephen was so full of God that even the people that were coming against him, they said he had a glow on him. His body was like glowing and he was going down and they were killing him. And he said, Lord, don't hold this against the people that are attacking me. And then right after that, Saul gets knocked off his course and he becomes Paul. You never know. You never know who you're inviting to church. You never know who you're talking to. You never know what these messages will do, but it is our job to empower you because we have a history and you will too. Father, in the name of Jesus, we ask, Lord, in the name of Jesus, as we build, as we build, that they will understand they are a royal, a royal, a holy nation a people set apart and sanctified. No matter where Marcella goes, she's sanctified. No matter what school Nicole choice chooses, she's set apart, she's a royal priesthood. No matter where any of us go, even the babies, Sean, it doesn't matter where Stevenson goes, it doesn't matter where Natoya and Dave go, it doesn't matter wherever we go, we are set apart as a holy nation, consecrated to God, because the Bible says in 1 Peter 2 and 9, we were called out of darkness into the marvelous light. So, Lord, we thank you for the power of gathering together and being infused with strength, fused with hope. When we come in here around other believers, we go, no matter what they do to us outside, we got strength. We got an anointing. We got the power of God to build people. Lord, we have to be ready like Matthew Hasselbeck. When he, when he, he said that his two little quarterbacks came up to him and he thought they were just going to talk about the message. And they said, can you baptize us? He went from a simple invitation to dunking them in the water in, in remembrance of their sins being washed off of them. Lord, we empower them and they go out into the world, marketplace missions, and get people and bring them into the kingdom. How do we grow unless we use our story? Lord, raise us up. Let, let the power of Peter be on us so that we can look like that kind of disciple. Raise up the women in me management. Raise up the men that are in life with, with Speak Life with Pastor Dale. Raise up the women that come to Girls on a Mission. Raise up the men that come to Sons of Thunder. Raise up the light bearers, Lord. Why do we have all this set up? Because there is a mission of, on us and for us to increase them so that we will be able to look at them and say, you already know the truth. 
Don't waver for that and hold on to the anointing that you have. Because you might just be walking down the street and see a homeless man and you might have to pull them out. It might be a woman dripping with diamonds that's lost and out of her mind and you have to grab her hand. It might be a principal. It might be somebody on your job. It might be a client. You never know who God will speak to you about. But Lord, strengthen their back. Lord, let the anointing break the yoke. There are people in bondage all around us. Lord, my prayer is this, that you will, you will empower those people that come to Hallel to find other people that need this kind of instruction. That they will be the coaches. They will be the mentors. Empower them like you empower us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 This is your scripture to go. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Look at somebody and say, you are God's special possession. That you, 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 you're yourself, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. That's your scripture for um, this week. Um, and now it's time to give.